Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. We always say that Jewish history repeats itself. Well, if we think back to the times that we're thinking about now, over 3,000 years ago, we know what happened. The Jewish people quit Egypt. Did you know that there was an exodus of a different kind that happened some 2,000 2,370 years ago, to be exact. And if we were to be really exact, it happened to be on the 12th of Nisan, which is today. 2,370 years ago today. Well, do you know what happened? I'll tell you. The great sage Ezra, who was leader of the Jewish people at the time of the Babylonian exile, began a journey back to Israel on the 12th of Nisan, now believe it or not, he set out from what is known as the river Arava, Ahava, sorry, the river of Ahava, at the beginning of a long journey, which took nearly five months for him to complete. He took with him a number of people who journeyed with him, and they traveled from Babylon back to Israel. And this was the beginning of the return of the Jewish people, or the major statement of the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel following the Babylonian exile. An amazing fact that it happened today, the 12th of Nisan. This is Rabbi Michael Katz, and I'm welcoming you here to Judaism 101.9, where we think about and we discuss um, things that we need to know, and there is so much that we need to know. This is going to be... (coughs) a matter of just how much we can fit in to the next 40 minutes or so about what we need to know for the upcoming Chag, for the upcoming festival of Pesach. There are volumes written about the festival of Pesach, and in fact, it is about this Chag that it actually says in Jewish law, it says in Alocha, that 30 days before the Chag, 30 days before this festival, we have to start discussing and start learning and going through all the things that we need to know. It's not just about cleaning the house. It's not just about um, getting our guest lists done and making sure that we have what to eat. It is about knowing really what this Chag is actually all about and what we need to do in order to be in the frame, in order to be on the same page, in order to be heading in the right direction when it comes to this beautiful and huge Chag, the festival of Pesach. Well, let's begin by saying that up until now, right now, one needs to have made sure that by the very latest, the very, very latest Friday morning early, and remember that Friday is a public holiday, so it's a little bit of an earlier start than usual, we've got to make sure that our chametz is sold. Now, the chametz can be sold. The chametz can be sold before you have completely cleaned out your house because the actual sale of the chametz takes place. The chametz is sold by the Beth Din on Friday morning. So if you were to have filled in the form today or if you do it online, and of course you can by going to ChabadSouthAfrica.org or the site of the UOS or the uh, Union of Orthodox Synagogues, the Beth Din site, one can sell one's chametz by doing that going online. It is, of course, the old tradition to actually go to your own rabbi and to make your rabbi the proxy. He is the agent. He's the one who will take it in and make sure that the Beth Din sell it on your behalf. This can be done before, but it is something that needs to be done because otherwise – 
any of the stuff that we have that may be chametz that we've put away after Pesach, one cannot actually use them. This has to be sold uh, because otherwise during the time of the nullification and the getting rid of all the chametz, which we're going to talk about in a moment, um, you have actually said that this is absolutely nothing. It is ka'afra, the ara, it is like the dust of the earth. You have negated not only ownership of it, but you've actually said that it is nothing. It is completely hypocritical and wrong to then take it back and to start utilizing it. So we've got to make sure that we do not fall into that trap. We make sure that we have actually done an official sale of the chametz, which is simply by filling out your addresses where that chametz is, signing it and making sure that that is done before the very latest early Friday morning. The second thing that we need to make sure that comes up in the agenda is that on Thursday night, that's tomorrow evening, we need to search for the chametz. The search for the chametz is done in the old traditional way of walking around the home together with your family. And it is traditional that everybody who is under that roof should be present. It's not something that is done privately. We do it together with the whole family. We walk around the house and we search for the chametz. Now, this has to be a real search, but we just want to make sure that we actually find something because otherwise there's a question about making the blessing over the search. We've got to make sure that we do find something. And so tradition has it that we put out 10 well-wrapped and make sure that they're well-wrapped pieces of bread, chametz that are dotted around the house. Make sure you don't spill any crumbs because your house is nice and clean now for Pesach. And we dot, we send them, put them all over the house wherever there may have been chametz. So there could be chametz, yes, in the kitchen, in the dining room, and so on. But anywhere where children may have taken chametz, the playroom, um, the uh, bedrooms even, um, that need to be searched for chametz. And actually one should search. It's not just about picking up those 10 pieces and putting them aside to be burnt the next day. We actually have to make sure that the search is authentic, that we actually are looking and we go with the candle, the feather and the spoon um, system in order to find these pieces. We put them into a well-sealed bag and that is set aside for the next day when it is actually going to be burnt. But as we begin the search, we make a bracha, we make the blessing on the search and that blessing then covers the entire search. So from the time of making the blessing until the search is completed, one should not engage in any discussion other than just directly about picking up the pieces and so on. But um, other things should not come into the agenda. We want to make sure that it covers everything and that the uh, search is all done in one. We pick up the pieces. We make sure that we put them all together in a bag. We set them aside for the next day. And we then say the kol chamira, the first kol chamira, which you'll find in your Haggadah in the back of your Siddur, uh, where we actually are nullifying um, the chametz and saying, I have looked for it, I've searched for it, and uh, whatever I haven't found, I am going to nullify. We take that, set it aside. The next day, that's on Friday morning, we need to burn that bag with the chametz and any other whole chametz that you might have found. Make sure that it's small and pliable and burnable. Um, a whole loaf tossed into a fire is not exactly going to burn, so uh, break it up into tiny pieces if that is what you're actually burning, and in that way we get rid of the chametz on Friday morning. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we've been talking about Pesach preparation and how to line it up and make sure that you get it all right. Well, we spoke about having to sell your chametz. We now spoke about having to search for the chametz tomorrow evening. And then on Friday morning, the burning of the chametz. Now, the burning of the chametz takes place 
approximately 10 a.m. in the morning. And it's from that time on that one may not eat any more chametz. I think it's about 10.30, 10.35. If you check carefully on websites or you ask your local rabbi, of course, we can. they can inform you of all of those exact times. I'm sure you'll get it on your shul WhatsApp group or your emails and so on. Please watch out for that. Make sure that you burn the chametz by the right time. Now, the burning of the chametz is everything that you have collected in the um, uh, search that you did the night before and at that time once the chametz is burning we actually nullify everything else and from then on we may not eat any more chametz. So in fact Pesach is one Chag, it's one festival that actually starts early. You know most of our festival, most of our Chagim start at nightfall. Um, nightfall would be on Friday evening of course when Pesach comes in proper but we actually do start with all of these things in the morning, in the morning before. Now, this was due to the fact, of course, that the Korban Pesach, the Paschal offering, which was prepared and readied in the times of the Beit HaMikdash, in the times of the Temple, it was all readied on the 14th, on the day before Pesach, and then, of course, only eaten that night. But part of the Avodah, part of the service of Pesach actually took place on Erev Pesach. And so we need to be in the midst of all of that and make sure that there's no chametz around, that there is nothing leavened um, in any of our products, in any of our uh, nooks and crannies and closets and so on, that that is all gotten rid of by the time Pesach actually comes in and the eating of chametz ends. That t- cutoff time is in the morning of Friday, Friday morning, um, as we said, public holiday, nice and kind this year. You've got time to be at home and to help out with all the preparations and so on and make sure that we're ready for Pesach, which begins in earnest on Friday night. Now, on Friday morning, there is something else that takes place which is of relevance and significance, and that is called the fast of the firstborn, the Tainis Bechorim, the Tainit for Bechorim, for um, firstborn, firstborn males would need to fast on Erev Pesach um, due to the fact that they were significantly spared in the uh, plague of the firstborn, which took place right before we quit Egypt, and um, also the fact that the Bechorim, the firstborn, were meant to be the actual priesthood of the Jewish people. Unfortunately, they lost it at the time of uh, the worshipping of the golden calf. It was handed over to the tribe of Levi, to the Levites, um, and um, has been like that ever since. But the Bechor, the firstborn, which is any firstborn male over the age of Bar Mitzvah, needs to fast. And it's tradition that any firstborn who's uh, not yet Bar Mitzvah, that the father fasts on his behalf. But now it is the one and only time when it comes to a fast that we say we would prefer that people do not fast. Now, why? Because you're going to come to the Pesach Seder, be ravenous and rush through everything in order to be able to get to eat. Um, We want to make sure that that doesn't happen, that Pesach is celebrated correctly. Plus, we're in the midst of actually a very, very special Chag already on the day before Pesach. And so our sages saw fit to see to it that there was a way that we could not fast by attending a festive meal. Now, if there was a bris that you were attending, you could certainly eat at that, but most of us can't plan these things and make sure that they are ready for us on Erev Pesach. So tradition has it that we perform a siyum. We complete the learning of a tractate of Talmud, and when that is completed, 
It warrants a sudat mitzvah. It warrants a meal that you should eat and drink something. And therefore, anybody who has been in shul in order to be able to hear that or been in the school in order to be able to hear that or the room uh, where the siyum was said, um, the completion of this tractate, we are then permitted to eat and to have something to drink and so on um, before we go then in earnest into Pesach, the burning of the Chomets and all that sort of stuff. So that then uh, gets the firstborn off this particular fast. And uh, this is, in fact, how it's been performed, how it's been done for um, hundreds and hundreds of years. So make sure if you are a firstborn, if you are a uh, father of a firstborn who's under the age of Bar Mitzvah, this is the way that it is done. This is the way that you fulfill the obligation of um, fasting and kind of not fasting um, all in one. So those are the things that are preparatory in terms of um, traditions, um, uh, ritual, law, and uh, custom that we do before Pesach. But now we come in earnest to Pesach itself. And of course, Friday night and Saturday night are the two sedarim, the two festive meals and the two orders of the day in which we go through the whole Haggadah, the complete Haggadah. By the way, in a country like South Africa, anywhere outside the classical borders of Israel, one needs to keep two days of Yom Tov. So that's Shabbos and Sunday, uh, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night and Sunday. And on the two nights, we have the complete Seder, exactly the same each night with a couple of small exceptions where there are extra couple of words that are added you'll see in your Haggadah for a Saturday night and particularly in the Kiddush where we also on Saturday night will make Havdalah um, because Shabbat is going out and we're going from Kodesh to Kodesh from one level of holiness to another so watch out for that but it's all enumerated very well in every Haggadah right at the beginning when you make the Kiddush watch out for what you have to say particularly on a Friday night and then particularly on a Saturday night and those will be some of the only differences. Other than that, than that, the Seder itself comprises of several parts. I've often told people that it's the system of four, three, two, and one. And it's an easy way, of course, to remember it. There are several different um, items on the agenda of the Haggadah. And most importantly, um, there is the system of four, three, two, one. What is the four, three, two, one system? Here is an easy way to remember it. Well, number four. Four is the four cups of wine. We should be drinking four cups of wine at the Seder. And the four cups of wine should be a wine that is good for you. So if you can only take grape juice, well, then that's good for you. If you like a sweet wine, you can have a sweet wine. If you like a dry wine, it can be dry. If you like red better than white, um, that's what works for you and that's what you consider the best. One should have the best possible way of fulfilling this mitzvah um, for yourselves and make sure that it is something that is comfortable and possible and is not going to get you too drunk and is not going to upset your stomach and make you sick and so on. Obviously, we want to make sure that all of those things are taken care of. So the number four is the four cups of wine. Of course, there are many other things revolving around the number four, but I'm talking about the things that we need to consume in order to fulfill the mitzvah of the Pesach Seder. Three, there are three times when we are obligated to eat matzah in the Seder. In fact, the whole week of Pesach, we are not obligated to eat matzah. We don't have to eat matzah at any particular time. We are obligated to eat it at the Seder. Friday night and Saturday night, we need to eat a sizable amount of matzah. Now, this is not just a little 
pick off the edge of the matzah, just a few crumbs. This is a sizable amount of matzah. The average machine-made matzah is uh, possibly um, enough, depending on its weight. And if you're going for a, mach- a handmade, uh, really thick uh, shmura matzah, um, at least two-thirds probably of the matzah needs to be consumed for each one of the three times. That is the first time when we make the bracha, hamotzi lechem in the second time when we actually eat the Hillel sandwich, when we put the maror together with the matzah, and the third time when we eat the afikoman. Each time one needs to eat a sizable amount of matzah. Yes, a lot of matzah that we consume at the Pesach Seder. That's three. There are three occasions. Two, there are two occasions, two parts of the Seder where we eat maror, where we eat the bitter herbs. One, when we take the bitter herb itself and we make the bracha, on um, <laughs> on the bitter herbs, alachilat maror, um, which is just after we've made hamotzi, just after we've started the eating process of this uh, function, of this event, of this beautiful seder. And um, at that time, we need to consume a sizable amount of maror as well. Remember, if you're using horseradish, it's probably like a tablespoonful. If you're using um, uh, romaine lettuce, if you lay them out on the table, it should kind of cover a an A4 page that's more or less the size. It's quite a lot of stuff that needs to be consumed, and that is done then twice. Once when we eat it alone, and the second time when we put it into that Hillel sandwich, when it's wedged between the two pieces or the few pieces of matzah that we consume as one, that is the second time that we are obligated to eat maror. And then there is the number two. So we've got the four, we've got, we've all got, sorry, we've got the four, the three, the two, that's the number two, and then there is the number one. What is the number one? The obligation to actually talk about getting out of Egypt. Well, we have that spelt out for us in the Haggadah. So if you've gone through the Haggadah and you've enumerated or spoken about all the things that the Haggadah has for us, and of course you invite people to ask questions, to debate, to talk about and uh, quote different things that they may have in their particular Haggadah or their particular family or traditional custom, that's what this is actually all about. The idea of keeping people involved, keeping the children involved, and of course, keeping the child within us involved. So, four, three, two, one, four cups of wine, three times of eating matzah, twice when we take the maror, and once the obligation at the Seder table, at the Seder meal in the evenings of Pesach, Friday night and Saturday night, to talk about Yetziat Mitzrayim, to talk about the getting out of Egypt, to talk about what it meant for us, what it is for us, what freedom is, what liberty is, what redemption is. All of these things need to come into the discussion um, around the Pesach Seder table. So it's a great, great opportunity for us to blend together as families, as friends, as relatives. And it's a great time for us to include our children. We need to make sure that three quarters of the Pesach say their statements that we have always learned is that you need to keep the children involved. The children not only need to be awake, but they need to be involved. We need to make sure that they have their say, that they know that they can ask their questions and that their questions are well answered and that they're discussed and that they're taken care of. This is an educational experience like no other within the entire year of our uh, Judaism. It is an incredible opportunity for educating, for learning, for teaching, for guiding, for encouraging, for answering, for talking, for debating. It's an incredible opportunity. That's what this evening or these evenings are really all about. The Seder is all about that openness and that discussion and that understanding that each one sees things from a different perspective and that no question is 
um, a silly question and that no question is not to be answered and that no question is uh, to be left undiscussed. One needs to do all of that and include the children. Hopefully the kids have things that they want to present themselves, that they have learned at school, that they're bringing home, that they're discussing at the table, or questions that they want to ask. You're not only limited to the questions that are asked at the beginning of the Haggadah or the questions that are asked by the four sons. This is an opportunity for us to really grow our social dimension and the interactive, uh, beautiful audiovisual um, ideas and ideals that are conveyed within the Pesach Seder. It's an opportunity to employ all our senses. Remember, in the Pesach Seder, we hear, we see, we touch, we feel, we um, eat, we taste, as well as speaking about everything that is within the Pesach Seder. And of course, all our senses being employed um, or uh, it, it makes it just this incredible experience. That's what it needs to be. It needs to be an experience. And it needs to be a new experience. Each year we can t- think about the fact that it's exactly the same as last year, but it's never the same. It needs to be embroidered. It needs to be um, magnified. And we need to think about the fact that each year, I'm sure that you will find, I certainly find, that each year we find things embedded within the Seder and in the commentaries and so on that we don't think we've ever seen before. There is new stuff. There is an incredible amount of literature and an incredible amount of um, ideas and ideals and philosophy that is written behind everything that goes into the Pesach Seder. Enjoy it, do it, and employ it. And in that way, you will make your Pesach Seder just that much more meaningful. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we've been talking about Pesach preparations and getting ourselves ready. Well, one of the things that we need to think about, I think, at the Pesach Seder is the very great importance that and stress that is placed on listening as much as there is to answering. You know, we have we ask a lot of questions, but isn't it important that we hear those questions? And isn't it important that we focus on our different children? Now, in fact, if we think about it, the reason why we have four sons mentioned in the Pesach Seder, four, four sons are mentioned, is because there are four references in Torah to your son asking you or your sons, your children, asking you questions about the exodus from Egypt. We're not talking about all the other sons' questions that may have been asked over time, but we're talking about the questions that your sons will ask you about getting out of Egypt or about the Pesach Seder, about the Pesach offering. Four different references. Our sages have pointed out that because there are four references, there are four different sons. And the four different sons are divided up, of course, into the wise one, the so-called wicked one, the simple one, and the one who doesn't know how to ask. But perhaps there is a different way of looking at it all. If we think about the wise son, yes, we all know the wise son. And the wise son, by the way, still asks questions. But one has to give him an answer that satisfies his curiosity. If he's truly wise, he will understand not only the question, but he'll understand the answer. And he'll know um, that there are answers. Now, what is his question framed as? His question is actually talking about the chukim. He wants to know about the chukim, the mishpah. Patim. He wants to know about the statutes. He wants to know about the the uh, the laws that are understandable. And in fact, we point out to him that um, we uh, the answer is about the afikoman. We say, well, we eat the afikoman, and after that, we eat nothing else. We're giving him 
a classical Jewish answer. He asks a question in one way. We ask him in a much, we answer him in a much deeper way. We're telling him that everything depends on how we view every law, that we know that every law comes from the Almighty, every law comes from God, and we've got to look at the ones that we understand as much as we look at the ones that we don't understand, and the ones that we don't understand, like why we have to eat the afikoman in the first place, is everything and every part of it is as important as, as anything else in Torah. Why? Because God said, and because there is a statute, and his understanding of everything should not be what's actually leading him. The chacham should not be led by his chokhmah, but rather by his adherence to the mitzvot. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Maybe better than calling somebody a rosha, a wicked person or a wicked, wicked son is to say about, it's to talk about the broken one, the one who actually doesn't feel that he belongs. He um, is depressed. He's down. He's downtrodden. He doesn't feel like there's anything for him. There's nothing going for him. This one, we need to say, it's hake et shina, if we say. We should blunt his teeth. Take the poison out of the questions that he's answering and answer him in a placid and a beautiful way and tell him about Yitziat Mitzrayim, about the getting out of Egypt. Don't throw him out. <clears throat> Don't discard him. Just because he's asking the biting questions doesn't mean that he shouldn't be answered and he doesn't have a place, God forbid, at the Pesach Seder. And then we come to the Tom. When we talk about the Tom, usually we speak about the simple one, but there is another meaning to that word Tom. Tom actually means complete. He sees himself as complete. He sees himself as, I don't need any of this uh, Jewish stuff. I'm complete. He's arrogant and he's full of himself and he believes that he is entitled. He's got everything and he is large and in charge. Him, we have to say to him, listen, young man, you have to know that there is humility demanded. There, You need to come down to earth and you need to see the world for what it is. And you need to understand that although there may be so many answers in science and technology and so on, nevertheless, you have to know that there is only one God in the world who could create everything Remember that our belief system and our faith and the importance of God in our lives is much more important than anything else. So make that space. Forget about the arrogance and the fullness of your self-centeredness and take a little bit of a, uh, let's call it a chill pill, but let's actually bring yourself down, deflate your arrogance and your ego a little bit. That's our answer to the one who feels that he's complete. And then finally, there's the one who doesn't know how to ask. What does it mean that he doesn't know how to ask? It's that he feels that he has no connection. The idea of knowing is connecting. He doesn't feel that he has a connection whatsoever. And to that one, it says, you need to actually address him. You've got to talk to this guy. You've got to engage with him. Don't say, well, I'm going to leave you disconnected. No, I'm going to help you to connect. And this is our obligation in the Pesach Seder, to listen, to bring people in, to make sure that everybody feels part of it, and to make sure that there is space at our Pesach Seder for everyone. So let's make sure that we have a meaningful and a wonderful and a beautiful build-up to Pesach and then a wonderful, wonderful Pesach in and of itself. And hopefully, as we stand this year to welcome, or as many people sit to welcome, Eliyahu Anavi, 
the Elijah the prophet who's going to come visiting every Jewish home around the world at the time of the Pesach Seder where we pour a cup of wine. We invite Eliyahu, we invite Elijah into the room. Hopefully he comes into the room with the great news that Mashiach has Taka arrived, that Mashiach is here, that we no longer have to put up with pain, suffering, difficulties, wars, pressure and so on, and that actually the Geula Hashlema, the complete redemption, has actually come to fruition. We look forward to a wonderful Pesach. I wish you a Chag Sameach. I wish you a kosher and freilichen, completely happy, joyous Pesach coming up ahead. Enjoy it. Do it well. And we look forward to chatting with you again soon on another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9.